Good morning. This is The Sunday Show. I'm Sarah Carey, here with you until 12 o'clock. Coming up over the next two hours, the newspaper review with the last few analysts left in Dublin, an in-depth look at Hillary Clinton's nomination at the Democratic National Convention with DCU's Karen Devine. We talk to Orla Lynch, a criminologist from UCC, who's going to try and answer the question, why are young Muslim men in Europe committing these dreadful massacres? And finally, in the regular on-the-record item, John Fardy and I will be chatting about Graceland, Paul Simon's 1986 album in which he broke the anti-apartheid boycott of South Africa. Was it worth it? Now, first, the headlines in the papers today. In the Sunday Business Post, revealed how 300,000 public sector workers dodged a pension cut. Um, Legislation was passed in 2012 to break the automatic link between the public sector pay increases and pensions. The idea was that public sector pensioners would only get increases in line with the cost of living, but the required ministerial order has never been made. So we might have more on that during the show. In the Sunday Independent, uh, airport alert, alert for jihadi suspects. Ireland flights to be screened by an agency with access to US terrorists. Um, little thing on the side there saying that Shane Ross was one of 856 drivers breathalyzed this weekend. And Brendan O'Connor is saying, never forget what Anglo did. I don't think we will. And we'll be talking about that too. In the Sunday Times, dire AIB stress test put state sale in anger and these were the stress tests which were done this week in which AIB is the second worst performer of 51 European banks with Bank of Ireland rated fourth worst and of course the government was hoping to sell AIB and get some of our money back so that might put the price down a bit they also say Fine Gael gagged a councillor, a Fine Gael politician has confirmed to the Sunday Times that he was told by senior party figures to warn a councillor not to give evidence in a court case last year that was all about that row about John Perry getting the nomination in Sligo. And John Mooney has a story saying senior Garda in bullying complaint, one of the most senior Garda in the force, has begun internal grievance proceedings against the Commissioner Noreen O'Sullivan. And the Daily Mail, lies and cruelty of killer waitress, uh, calculating her to blackened victim's name after Orsus moved on to date another woman. Um, the Irish Sunday Mirror, mum of three killed in car horror, another dreadful car crash. And in the Sunday World, the Beast of St. Patrick's Abuser O'Brien's 1,000 Offences Against Children. Awful story there by Nicola Talent. But we will now go in-depth into the newspapers and talk about them. My panel here this morning is Angela Long, editor and writer. Her blog is alongsword.com. Eamon Delaney is a columnist and executive director of the Hibernia Forum. And Ono Malley is a columnist and lecturer in political science in DCU. And if he doesn't mind me saying, also a son of Des O'Malley's, which I think is kind of interesting if he doesn't find that too reductionist. Um, So look, the big story really across a lot of the papers this morning is Anglo and the jailing of the three bankers. And, you know, you can never, well, I can never help feeling that twinge of compassion, Angela Long. It's not going to be nice going to jail. What's the the tone of the articles today? That well, I must have a harder heart than you, Sarah, because I seem <laughs> to be able to escape from the uh, twinge of compassion. I don't feel compassionate at all. I think these people brought Ireland to her knees and uh, there are not enough people lining the jails. Um, these uh, gents, of course, the three who were sentenced at the end of the week, will all appeal their sentences. Their sentences may be reduced, we don't know. The judge certainly in his summing up didn't seem to show much sympathy for them. 
um, or uh, anybody really involved in this uh, secular or circular deal with 7.2 billion involved that was kind of being used in a kind of a tennis match between Anglo at the time and uh, Irish Life and Permanent. And these were the, the people who were wielding the rackets, uh, you might say. So the tones of the article, I think, to me, and I'm sure to a lot of people, it'll be like, I've read this before, I've read it all before. Oh, the regulator, he didn't really call them to account. I've read that before. Oh, he's got an enormous pension. Um, I've read it all before, but it's, you know, it doesn't make it any better. It's still very depressing. And it doesn't give people back their jobs or their mortgages or their lives. Um, Eamon Delaney, Brendan O'Connor is reminding us <clears throat> on the front of the Sunday Independent about some of the language that one of them, John Bow, used. Remember when they were caught in the Anglo tapes? And he was the guy who said when he was asked uh, why he picked seven billion as a figure that he just plucked it out of his arse. Mm. It's amazing how y- you do actually forget. It's been so long. It's been eight years and there's been so many characters and so much said. You do forget um, how mm. exactly they were drawn us into this mess, don't yeah, you? Yeah, I, I mean, it, it, it's it, there is a matter of context, context and context, you know. I mean, it's they're only the apex on a, uh, a culture of uh, excess, lack of regulation, light touch. Uh, it can never go wrong. It just gets better and better. And they're the, in the middle of all that, they're even a multiple of that. And it's, it's reckless. But, you know, those tapes... Uh, that we hear, we hear them selectively in their conversation with themselves. I don't think they willingly went out to destroy their own bank and destroy the country. And, oh, quite the opposite. You know, and, yeah. they pull a figure out of it. That's the way bank. That's why they talk and still talk. I think so. Uh, I, I'd be kind of going with both ways. I, I would have some compassion for anyone who goes to jail. I mean, it's, it's not Syria. Mm. It's not going to be hung upside down and denied food. Uh, they'd be treated well. They'll come out, they'll write a book about it, they'll be on chat shows, you'll be talking to them, no doubt, if you're Marion Finucane or someone. And, uh, but, uh, uh, so that's the, <laughs> I, I, I've lacked simply there, or, I'm sorry, I, I've something for them, but also not. I mean, the common the thread, a common thread in all of the commentary, and it was sparked off really by Judge Martin Nolan saying, making clear, there were regulators you know, Patrick yeah. Neary, uh, John Hurley from the Central Bank, politicians. There was a sense that putting on this green jersey was policy and that they thought they were part of that policy. Well, but maybe they did. Maybe like they didn't do this for financial. This is the unusual thing. It's not yeah. like abroad in Wall Street. They didn't do it financial gain. Uh but they, but it was reckless nonetheless. The regulators had a job to do, but we know that. The bank inquiry, we, we've seen many pictures now of Hurley, of Pat Neary, of others. I find there's a, still a lot of uh, shifting of blame. I mean, the political culture, uh, I think the media t- takes, doesn't take any responsibility. I'm not going to name names, but some of the most denunciatory and moralistic about her are those who are cheerleading the property boom, couldn't get enough of it. And cheerleading Bertie ramping up public expenditure, all of which is tied there in some of the trade unions as well. But the political culture, there are certain ministers who are in government at the time. And, you know, the regulator didn't tell me, but you were a minister. You should have known, you know, you know, at a time of full economic growth, is it really right to put up public expenditure another seven or eight percent? That's just public expenditure where the banking crisis is an accelerated steroid version of that. And we all headed for a perfect storm of a crash. So I think there's blame shifting. Look, we've sent these guys down. They say we don't do white collar crime in Ireland. This is it. We do do it. 
we still have people in the Doyle who shouldn't be there but they should be in jail don't get me started I won't get you into trouble in libel today <laughs> but yes, quite honestly but bankers are handy fall guys they're going down they're going to do their time and it's a good thing well Owen are they fall guys or are they deservedly going to jail in your opinion? I think most people would accept that they deserve to go to jail they were doing something that they knew was wrong it was fraudulent uh, it was defrauding investors uh, but there is clearly in the papers a tone that is kind of we feel a bit sorry for them beca- because of this green jersey f- uh, attitude and there was a sense that you know they were just doing what everybody was trying to do which was to hold the whole thing together that politicians the regulators they were all trying to to uh, to kind of uh, circle the wagons around Ireland and protect us and so there, I, you do sense a, a tone of sympathy within uh, the papers on that. And then there is, you might call it blame shifting, but it might also be just saying, you know, other people are to blame as well. Uh, Ernst Young, or EY, as they're now called, uh, come over some criticism from uh, Judge Nolan. They signed off on accounts that they either knew or should have known mm. uh, were fraudulent. Mm. And the accountancy is a bit too mentioned, Young, because that's something that's not really focused on sufficiently is these major accountancy houses, uh, Price Waterhouse, uh, Merrill Lynch, I think, did the report on the bank, the cost of the bank guarantee, which was out mm. by a fraction. Uh, it gave it a fraction of what was the overall cost. I mean, OK, they go on the criteria they're given, but it's some certain law companies who give advice that turn out to be erroneous as well. So, Well, if we go back a Angela year, th- this time last year, the banking inquiry was just about winding up. I think uh, they didn't uh, sit in August and then they came back briefly when the doll wandered back in September. But, you know, there was this cast of characters that paraded through the banking inquiry. You could watch it all day if you wanted to. Um, on the, the internet and it was everybody's fault and it was nobody's fault mm, exactly and it was, was that thing yeah. that used to hang in offices you know there was something about you know it was everybody's job but it was nobody's job but it was anybody's job so no, you know, nobody did it. And the number of times I heard people say, you know, well, we were just, you know, we were just concerned about solvency, and there didn't seem to be any worries about solvency. And the accountants all saying everything seemed to be in order. And you know, Brian Cowan was there. You know, all of the the top developers were there. They were all there. You know trying to look uh, honest and responsible, but all vacant. It sort of shows the danger of patriotism when you're dealing with things like this. Yeah. Um, people should have their job, and your job is, if you're, say, the regulator or if you're a uh, government minister, is to do your specific thing. But the regulator was to told light touch. I think there was kind well, of common to, knowledge. But I think Owen just, t- just touched on something there, because there was also a report out this week about the IMF and the mess that they made of when they got involved in Greece and, and other transactions in Europe that they shouldn't have been involved in. And groupthink was identified as being a big problem there. And I always see this in corporations where there's this idea of team players. And if you're high up in the organisation, well, then you're one of the team and you're doing something for the team. So these guys all thought, well, they were on the team to save Anglo and the team to save Irish banks and the team to save the country. So if you were going to go, no, this is wrong, you'd probably just get fired or eased out or something like that. Well, you certainly wouldn't be listened to. And if you look at a lot of the inquiries throughout the Western world uh, into the crash, uh, groupthink always comes up as as an idea. And I mean, we had said things about 
one of the reasons for the crash here was the Department of Finance didn't have any economists. Now, the, as far as I know, the Treasury in the US and the Bank of England and uh, uh, the Exchequer in the UK had teams of mm. very well qualified economists and they more or less said the same things as our card. They came up with the same policy. So that probably wasn't it. So how do you tackle that? How do you tackle that culture of, say, Eamon, you're at the table, you're feeling uneasy about something, but everyone else is on board and they're on the team and they're all talking in that corporate voice of, you know, we got to do this. And, well, if, do, if you're going to say no, yeah. well, you just don't get it. I, do, I, I think certain uh, conventional wisdoms have emerged. And this this is one, this whistleblower thing. I, I hear whistleblower applied to sports organisations and then, to the Department of Finance, I don't, I don't see the parallel. I think there's this. We like this narrative of someone who wasn't listened to. I, they should always be there. It should always be questioning, even the person who is leading from the front. I mean, it's it's probably over described, but but they should be nurtured and they shouldn't be punished. And and examples should be led. But I mean, the current Secretary General of the Department of Finance, an appointment to succeed John Moran. They promised there would be uh, interviews with outsiders. It didn't happen. They gave and it went back to the old. See, the political culture has gone back to its old way entirely. I don't see any particular reform or ever. And this guy, who's also called Moran, has been promoted and he's absolutely qualified for the job. And I'm not doubting that in any way. But one of his major things that we know about from his time previously in finance was knocking down a woman who made serious misgivings. I can't remember her name now. Oh, not it was Marissa. Yeah. Not Marissa. Not yeah. But, yeah. you know, I mean, that's your... But you get to rise in the civil service, public service ladder. The political culture doesn't have the bottle to change yeah, it. Yeah, she was writing emails very specifically concerned about answers that the minister was giving in the doll about the condition of the banks. And she was specifically told, this is unhelpful. Yes, yeah, yeah. And there's loads yeah. of... I know someone who's a previous ambassador in for the international organisation came back to Dublin and said you know this organisation I'm not going to say what it is but a major has serious concerns with the Irish uh, economy's direction and running and he was told by a senior civil servant you're not to that's not your business so you know it's not worth risking your entire career to make these points and now he's floated off into retirement with a pension so there are people who knew you know but like I, 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 in defence of officials I've been one of a more lowly level in distant times but uh, the political culture when you see the political culture and uh, Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael in particular going for back to populist economics uh, making promises they can't keep uh, writing checks that are we don't know where they're going to be paid for and appeasing trade unions in terms of trading uh, pay increases weren't talked about public sector pensions and you cannot really then expect that there'll be absolute scrutiny and discipline in the rest of the public sector Ono Mali, um, Eamon's colleague at the Hibernia Forum, Cormac Lucy, who also writes for the Sunday Times, he gives uh, the Anglo story mentioned today and he references Ernst and Young as you did. But he also makes the, the point that auditors are not responsible for the preparation of company accounts. The directors are. And Judge Nolan made no mention of the Anglo directors whose duties include the preparation of accounts. They included Frank Daly, now chairman of NAMA, who personally signed them off. I wonder what's happening around boardrooms now with directors are directors willing to voice concerns or do they just want to keep their seats on the board it's a little bit awkward isn't it <laughs> <Frank> Daly, the, <laughs> that's yeah. one way of putting it um, you'd imagine now in the old days getting to be a director of a company was probably a great little gig you got paid mm. money for essentially a lot of money for essentially part time work you got invited off to, to uh, meetings and were well fed 
Uh, I think the AIB directors were at the Ryder Cup in America when the crisis started here. They were all there, formally issuing statements saying, no, everything's fine. (laughs) We're having a good time. (laughs) We should The charity sector consoled recent directors Mm. who never went to meetings and weren't told anything. Or obviously actively discouraged from going to meetings. So So people might, I I don't know, I've never been asked to be a director of anything, uh, but I assume that people are starting to take it more seriously. And possibly one of the things that you, you did find, especially in private organisations but it could also be in public organisations or the charity sector is that you had the same names coming up again and again yeah. and so yeah. they were you know if if you were a director for somebody else they'd be director yeah. for you and they won't cause uh, cause and there again trouble. sorry to jump in again okay. on the political culture this is where there's also been no change and one of the most depressing aspects of that John McNulty controversy for the last government for Fine Gael I felt the McNulty appointment was blown out of all proportion it was wrong this was the guy who has been a Appointed yeah, the I'm the yeah. Irish Museum Modern Art, and yeah. I've been on that board myself, actually, in a different capacity, whatever, but as a board member. But what I thought was revealing was when the media started digging, they found all kinds of people appointed to boards who are just party friends. But this and is nothing new, Ivan. Yeah, sure, but we thought, Angela, you're absolutely right, but the, we thought it had changed. Yeah. The Minister Varadkar, Enda Kenny, the Taoiseach, a guy from a bo- bowling alley in Castle Bar. I mean, I'm not going to go to all the names here, but it goes on and on, right? You know. Well, what about the gentleman who lives in Chicago, is it? The restaurant yeah, I mean, who's I mean, going to I mean, get I mean, 30,000 euros expenses? Like, so really nothing has changed and you're just stuffing these... Bo- and these are, you know, some of them are quite a serious boards. And I met someone in the street, this is amazing, actually, showed how he just chapped. I could really be mysterious today, not naming names. <laughs> 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 I mean, libel lawyers are listening closely to. They know there's a big payoff to recent Phil Hogan, but anyway, uh, no, I know someone who um, told me, "Well, how's things going?" And this person is in the realm of doing a bit of writing now and then, and said, "It's great. I've been put onto two boards by hmm. blank Thanks. minister, yeah, minister, junior minister. Let's say, isn't it great?" And it, I don't think this person was aware of how the atmosphere had changed. And I thought, well, it was cute tourism. Mm. And it's all, and that was Fine Gael. So when they come along and tell Fina Fall, you did this and stuffing it, and Celia Larkin goes onto a board for the consumer agency or whatever, it's like, whoa, glass has and stones, you know? So that's just got to stop and stop, really does. Otherwise, everyone gets cynical. It's I in sh- all the papers. I should probably say I am on a board. Unfortunately, it's one of those where you have to work and you don't get any money for it. And <laughs> yeah, actually, it costs me like money. And, yeah. um, well, well Emma's unpaid. Yeah. You know, I mean, I'm, I'm, the, the, the McLaughlin thing, I think, was to get him into the Shannon. And I thought it was very interesting as a story because it was actually quite small. The stakes were, you know what Kissinger once said about why are academic battles so bitter because stakes are so small. <laughs> Owen would be very insulted by that. <laughs> uh, but, uh, but, it, but, but actually, it was the way that it magnified into, wow, look at this culture, what it's about. Because, sorry, cause, yeah. Yeah. Political, political parties can't really no longer rely upon the church day collection or ordinary volunteers going out in the rain. You don't see them as often, you know, what Fianna Fáil, what Fianna Gael, what Labour Party. So they need to be a couple of goodies. That I have to take wave. a break, but I want to give Angela Long a word on this because when all these banks all around the world were crashing down, the only Icelandic bank to survive was one whose entire management team was composed of women. Why am I not surprised? <laughs> Maybe is that the answer? More women involved on these More boards? More women. Well, yeah. you know, we've probably had it well, before. Uh, we've got a British Prime you know, Minister. Uh, we've got uh, a German. Angela yes, speaking. This, this, is, this is so uh, true, isn't it? It's just uh, typical. The no, woman no. starts to speak and the man tries oh, sorry, to shout it down. It's a very make, bad time. Make your point, Angela, please. Um, yeah. Well, uh, um, I was trying to think who was the quote recently 
that said something about you know the the excellence of women, but certainly Christine um, think, Lagarde has been Christine. Well, Christine Lagarde, yeah, yeah. Gen- generally, but um, yeah, but but certainly uh, my view of this is that women, because they're sort of later to the party of power and executive office and all of this sort of thing, uh, perhaps just in the last fifty, eighty years, work harder, do better keep their heads down, and it's also, you read it a million times in all of these business articles, newspaper articles, that the woman won't go in there and demand a raise, the woman won't, you know, shout and cause a fuss because she's too busy doing her job. And I know plenty of women in executive positions in the media and outside the media, they suffered because what they did was they did their job really well. And they of course, didn't, it's and because they didn't women are more risk-averse and... Uh, which in banking is a good Which thing. Which is not necessarily a bad thing, yeah. Um, Amy, maybe I'll let you kick off with this one. Lot of coverage today, obviously. I'd um, characterise it as angst about immigration, which has been coupled with what are we going to do about terrorism? And the two things are being inextricably linked. So, um, you know, Tom McGurk is writing in the Sunday Business Post, the storm of random attacks sweeping Europe will not blow over and we may have to yield up personal freedoms to tackle the menace. Uh, What's your take on the nature of the coverage? Um, I, 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 Tom, that's very much his his line. Uh, Tom McGurk and I've been on TV discussions. He, he he's actually very brave in many of his views. He, he you know he's he argues strongly that Europe uh, is is all wrong. It's led by the Germans, uh, who are literally come on in hundreds of thousands of you, and, and you can go wherever you want. When of course as the Slovakians, the Hungarians, and the Irish feel differently. I, I would just would be very wary about. Um, I, I, anti-immigrant rhetoric I think we have a duty to take people in on on some level of humanitarianism not in the open-ended way in which Europe seems to be the source for the migrants of the entire world you know these people are coming from Muslim war region created and fueled originally by the West must be said Iraq war and Afghanistan but but the Gulf states not so I I just would be wary I mean civil liberties thing I would be even wary with that like we, we had a war here terrorist war in Northern Ireland you know um the idea, I'm amazed by some of the stuff. And uh, and here I go again, not naming names, but people in commentary, an RT broadcaster recently talking about the idea that we don't photograph the terrorists or give their names for fear of giving lone wolf terrorist credibility. I thought, this is ridiculous. What You're not going to take names out of history books of, of people from World War Two. I mean, look, if we start doing that, we're surrendering, you know. These are still random attacks the numbers are high, 80 people in Nice. And look how quickly it was forgotten. I couldn't believe that. I mean, that was eight, four years ago. So we've got a problem on our hands, but it's just, we just need to be careful and not, and I mean, sorry, just, I'm going on yeah. here, but just finally, I heard Colm O'Gorman making the point uh, very Colm passionately. from Amnesty. From Amnesty, eloquently and passionately with someone in ex-Garda about the deportation of a Jordanian accused of ISIS links back to Jordan, which we know has a reputation torturing, to say the least, torturing ISIS suspects. Uh, the, our, the security authorities here don't seem to have a problem with it. But, I mean, Gorman made the point in the interview that, you know, we can't be throwing the rule book out the window. The, the Americans dealt with Guantanamo Bay and it, it just, it leads in the wrong direction. So maybe I'm a, a bit cautious in all this. Um, oh no, Mali, uh, the French government has been hugely criticised and um, the Prime Minister was booed at a memorial service in Nice because there's this idea that they just weren't doing enough uh, to combat mm. terrorism. Now, they've put the army on the streets, but... What exactly can you do? I mean, yeah. if you want to walk into a church and mm. 
kill a priest, it's it's going to be easy to do it, and it, we can't create a situation where it's not easy to do it in a way. Well, do we do we want to live in a country? Do we want to live in Israel? I suppose is what the decision we have to make. We either continue to allow people to live reasonably freely and enjoy their lives, and accept that you know small uh, random some random attacks could happen, uh, or we ra- uh, radically increase security which will probably alienate people further because it will create mm. splits between Muslim It's being uh, seen to be doing something at least, Angela. isn't it? Though? At least it's a, a visible sign. Um, I think lots of people like people to be feel seen a bit to be, safer. Yeah, yeah, but I mean, usually it's, it's meaningless. I mean, if you, if you want to hire a truck and drive down... Exactly. Well, that was what was so terrifying about the Nice attack. But, you, you know, you're not, you, I, I, I wouldn't be fatalistic either, and I'm, not, not, I'm sure you're not being... I mean, the tag could have been switched on on the guy in the church. Well, that's, that's you know, true. I mean, okay, so. You know, this is the French... I mean, they were very... They were quick enough in doing security on other type stuff, and the, the British likewise. So, you know, a guy drives a truck into V's, maybe you should keep an eye out. They just have to be extra vigilant, you know. Like, I, I wouldn't be wary of giving more powers to security forces... For, they can look at emails, they can monitor mobile phones. They've quite enough already. And the case of France, I don't understand saturating the tr- streets with troops because as many articles from there have pointed out, the people who are living there and have children that, the children then think we're, we're besieged <coughs> and they think we're fighting an equal enemy. You know, that's this World War Two. I, I, well, I, just on an economic footing for France at this time of the year, the big holiday season, yeah. and a lot of you know, yeah, a lot yeah. of people have been cancelling their trips. At least if you go yeah. there, they can say, well, you know, they're doing everything they can. It's uh, not probably not going to do anything. It's I mean, it's no, just going to make Owen. you look if someone goes It's like most security uh, mm-hmm. things in airports. We they're were made all, to take all off all our shoes. Yeah, but say but in, the, in, the sun, in, the, in the Sunday Times, Andrew Hussey um, is writing about what was going on in France. Terrorist atrocities have France at war with itself. Now, he's making the point that what the mistake that France was making was they were looking outward. He said uh, there were reforms of counterterrorism led by Nicolas Sarkozy. These reforms, in effect, thinned out the ranks of field officer and paid too much attention to international terror terror groups such as Al-Qaeda while ignoring the rapid growth of local jihadis. Mm. In other words, the French security service were looking in entirely the wrong direction, outwards rather than inwards, a massive strategic error. And Angela, this you see is a point where people are saying if these are homegrown terrorists, people who have been radicalised in European countries, well then you have to start monitoring those communities. Now, I'll be talking to Orla Lynch in the second hour of the programme about all of that. But there's just this really uncomfortable feeling I think a lot of us have about investigating and monitoring and surveilling Islamic communities yeah. for well, that radicalisation progress or process. But well, so as you say, the, they, this, this being called a strategic error because they looked outside to where your enemies are supposed to be, not inside the home. And a lot of this, of course, is uh, seen as a result of France's attempt to combine cultures and combine different nationalities. You know, the, the multicultural model that they followed was of, you know, integration. You've got to be French but people didn't really go with that. And when people were uh, French and they were actually thought they were more Tunisian or Moroccan or whatever, you know, because it's Algerian, these these have been the nationalities that have provided a lot of the, the horror and the terror recently. And if Robert Fisk were here, I know he'd give us a lecture about the Algerian war in the 60s yeah, and, and the thousands of people that French troops so, murdered. So there. that's the divide that you have, I always see in the commentary, between those who say, you know what, 
this is almost the West's fault for, for, for mishandling immigration and a legacy of colonialism. For, yeah, and then those who would say this is an Islamic problem. These people are religious fundamentalists and never in history has there been a coherent um, ideology involved, involving suicide bombing because of an, a so, religion. Yeah. Yeah. A religion. But, but both, did you say both? Yeah. But I think both, both are true. could be true, yeah, and especially in France's case, Sarah, because like I, that, this is kind of something long and coming. Like France has had for a long time, you know, a, a potential problem. Let's say with a very large Muslim com- community, which it, it has on the one hand tried to it, does it aggre- what I think are aggressive assimilationist measures. This is my own personal feeling: is the veil banning of the veil should let them wear the veil. Exactly. Mm. For goodness' sake, you know, people want to yeah. go around with crucifix or a nun's outfit. I don't care, you know, or they, they shouldn't care. But the, the like, secular to do like that. that the cost of it but then on the other hand they seem to have allowed a kind of development of uh, major alienation beyond the Banlieus beyond the the, the arrondissements in Paris out in the Banlieus and so on and remember they had those riots a few years ago like they were painted as kind of youth disaffection but a lot of them were Muslim or North African youth so France has had that kind of it's kind of a la- too, too laissez-faire and it tolerated quite a high degree of uh, Islamic radicalism and anti-Semitism. A lot of the Jewish, the Jewish community, which was large in France, has left. A lot of has gone to Israel because they feel this is no longer a rebel country. So France has kind of done the worst of all and then not acknowledged the past colonial stuff in terms but, of Algeria. Uh, sorry, Owen, oh, another um, theme I've noticed in the coverage of all of these is the lone wolf versus, we call the loner. So the lone wolf is maybe the isolated young Muslim disaffected man, like people might characterise the, the killer in the niece thing. But say in America, you've got the lone teenage boy who's able to go out and get guns and go into the school and shoot a pile of people. Who are probably psychologically more or less the same yes. person. Well, that was my point, you know, and that and the one is thing- One is regarded as a terrorist, the other is yeah. regarded as in some way a kind of poor little kid who, you know, just fell off the rails and nobody noticed and maybe we should have done more to help them. Yeah. Uh, and so it's kind of difficult to know what terrorism is because if I decide by sitting and tapping away on a computer for for days on end, uh, I self-radicalise or others radicalise me in terms of believing kind of nonsense stuff about, uh, about gods and things. Uh, and then choose all on my own to go off and commit some sort of atrocity. Is that terrorism? Then, but then ISIS will claim it with delight. Claim, yeah, they'll you know, claim it, but they may have had no direct impact on it. So they're not, I, I it's not the same way as say, the I, I, so I wouldn't deny it to them. I had this discussion with some people during the week. Like, there seems to be a thing of like, these people are psychic. What, what motivates them? Psychiatrically disturbed? Not. I just think it is a form of another form of terrorism. It's nihilistic. There's no, you must, there must be a British withdrawal or you must, the Kurds are fighting for an obvious homeland. There's obviously nothing here. It's kind of a revenge for cultural monotony as they see it of the West, imperialist values, what's happening in the Arab world, what's happening in Israel, and combined with that utter disaffection of an 18-year-old. And also, social media is very powerful. Now, before, if you did it, you'd be, in the Irish Times, in one paragraph, if the news staff were working, and uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you might get on the TV news, that'd be the end of it. But now it's your Facebook, social media, people reach out, people in Egypt can see what you did in Edinburgh. I mean, it's very And powerful. these days, the winners are the people who are masters of social media. So just to mention the T-word, 
it just once. Yes. But for example, Donald Trump, you know, master of the tweet and of the rather graceless and immature, you know, rapid fire communication on Twitter. The, you know, ISIL, um, Al Qaeda before them, other terrorist groups oh. themselves, absolutely mastered and and got their recruiting propaganda out there, you know, on Twitter, on websites, on exciting places in the dark web that actually weren't that hard to get to. And is that where intelligence uh, resources should be focused on social media and then they can follow the process? But if they follow them, because, you know, for example, before 9-11, it was said that there was, you know, a certain amount of chatter that was going on about, you know, when these people were arriving in Florida to learn how to operate, you know, aircraft simulators and whatever. Um, But, you know, it was just kind of like some functionary in the State Department or whatever said, oh, yeah, another file, threw it away, you know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, it is, it's a bit like what Owen was saying I mean, about I anyone mean, can go the into the British, British, yeah. British intelligence, which I think became pr- pretty intense and impressive, if that's the word, in terms of the latter stages of the Northern Ireland conflict. You know, they really had a level of surveillance. Uh, the mole system is almost too good to be true for the British. It's coming back to haunt them now. Yeah. You know, <laughs> steak knife, General Do- Dennis Donaldson, people running anti-informer squads who were themselves agents. I mean, that's a dark and murky story, but uh, there, was, there was... And ironically, I was reading recently the history of MI5. Uh, that's seen as... A, Christopher Andrew, I think, is their official historian. It's a very... Phrasing the, how great they are from the origins of SOS. Until, until it comes to 7-7, the bombings in London. Mm. Three of, I think, of the five bombers came from the Leeds area. Mm. Homegrown, you know. So they were almost looking the wrong way. Again. So they just need to apply that to... So I shall go to own on this. All this angst in recent years about um, the NSA reading all our emails... Um, and lots of concerns about data privacy. But if social media is the means by which these disaffected young men can be radicalised, is it therefore entirely justifiable for the NSA and MI5, 6 or whoever else to be following what we're doing on social media? Well, there's a big difference between social media and my private emails. So Mm. if you're looking at... How do you think about your private emails? Do you think they're private? I don't. Uh, No, I don't. (laughs) I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm pretty bored of them. But but looking at somebody's emails, and yes, there should be an expectation that they're probably being monitored anyway. Everything, Um, you know, if you, I I think if you, if you Gmail, uh, looking to know where a Bulgarian property, you're followed by Google anyway. I just hope it doesn't, I don't know, end up in a. USB stick. I don't know why but I'm I mean, it's, 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 it should be God. a reasonably simple thing to do to kind of look for certain types of words, certain patterns of words, and then you can yeah. kind of see, you can identify a story, people. I just came out of the British intelligence, but <laughs> this man they had got, car park told you <laughs> <laughs> they, 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 they had a tag on hunger strike in Britain, conversations Britain, Jel- uh, CHQ in Cheltenham during the hunger strikes of the 70s, and apparently they hadn't switched it off. So when it came to the 1980, mm-hmm. Uh, when everybody in Britain was talking about these, hey, what's going to happen with these hunger strikes? The system went into meltdown. I just thought it was quite funny, you know, something because but yeah. then they had, yeah. Yeah. yeah, is that maybe the problem for the Muslim community that you might have um, uh, Muslims who you know do feel that there is this clash of civilizations, say, between East and West. And that doesn't necessarily mean they support the violence of what's been done at their name, but might make them feel a little bit ambivalent about, say, reporting suspicious activity to the authorities. If they think that there is a mosque in their area that's radicalising people, they might fear going outside their community, much in the same way that in the North. You might have had people who knew where the safe houses were, but they weren't going to tell the RUC about it. No, and still to this day, there's a kind of 
anti. I, 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 it is a problem. I, I just think I was watching the the mates or schoolmates of one of the. Cause there's been so many now. I can't remember who it was. Maybe in Germany, on the attackers, and they they made it sound though as you would expect, as if this chat about let's go and we should be planting bombs and jihad was going on every day among you know and chat rooms and in among cafes. So it's hard to know where to start to you know. And, and I and which is serious and which is not. Yeah. And is that Angela? What you might call the snake in regarder. Uh, all right, that's what we used to say about maybe Republicans in the North who who knew kind of what was going on. Well, this is where, you know, the intelligence is supposed to operate in intelligence. It isn't just kind of, you know, mindlessly um, yeah. sorting through positive and positive stuff, but actually, you know, following particular leads. I know it, it's impossible. Um, Anders Breivik, the, the murderer yeah. in Norway, for example, you know, he had his manifesto up there. It was there for everyone to yeah, read. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, I, I, to read that sort of thing. It, it, it's it's not, it's without going to any dark space, Angela, it's interesting. You mentioned I'm always intrigued by that. I must get a Take out my old Did heavy you? metal albums and start getting <laughs> entry to that. But I remember coming, it's amazing what you can come across so quickly. You know, I came across, um, it's interesting in Israel, the Holocaust, actually, particularly. I know I was reviewing a book on the Holocaust. And I came upon a site which claims that the SAS didn't actually lead the way. That a lot of Jews sort of were killed by other people. And, and, and this was a whole group of academics. It's created a whole Holocaust revisionism. And I just thought, I was afraid to go any further. For, 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 so it's, and how do you police that? How well, do I think there should be more that? censorship of that. you police it, do you? you, can't, you I don't, well, censorship. Just well, this cut is them the, off. Why would you be in such a thing? Okay, well, Twitter cut <laughs> off that guy. How much free speech? What was his name? Milo Yiannopoulos or something like yeah, that. I just, yeah, Because he was abusing the black actress from Ghostbusters, whose name escapes me at the moment. So they just permanently banned him from Twitter. So why aren't they going around permanently banning all these crazies on Twitter? Well, they probably would want to keep it in the open so you can, you know. I mean, I do, I do think, though, the free speech thing is... I mean, this principle of absolute free speech really gets me when I hear from extreme libertarians, such as in that example. Yeah. I mean, we don't have child pornography. We don't have people saying the Holocaust didn't exist at all. You're not allowed. You're not supposed. So, you know. So let's be honest. There's no such thing as total and absolute free speech. You can't libel people for start or defame them, and, and rightly so. But, say, you know? but, but well, that propaganda, that uh, ISIL propaganda on Twitter, why aren't they just and YouTube? Why aren't they out just there cutting off the sources? Ban the whole it's the double edged sword that is the internet, that is the fantastic freedom of you know what used to be called the information superhighway. You you can say what you want. The trouble is there might be an audience for it, and people have n- not yet. And obviously, there's kids using it. There's middle aged people who do not realise uh, often when they're on Twitter that they're not sitting in the pub talking to their friends. I mean, part of this argument. Do you remember a few years ago when uh, Andrew Sachs, who was Manuel in Folding oh, yes. was insulted by Jonathan? Ross, yeah. yes. yes, Jonathan Ross and some Russell Brand. Was it yeah, they Brand? rang him up. Yeah. They rang him up, and they were very cruel to him, and uh, and mocked him and whatever. And there was a big fuss, and Jonathan Ross temporarily lost his lucrative contract on television. But I remember at the time a lot of people saying, "Well, you know, if you don't like that sort of thing, don't listen." And I think you can mm. be somewhat sanitised. Like when I go on, you know, Twitter and all of the nice, boring, responsible people that I that I follow, like yourselves. Um, 
I, you know, it's a pretty clean place. But if I'm following some of my students in Florida, in the university mm. in Florida, and I'm looking in their Twitter feeds, and then after a while it's like, ew. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Well, partly it's very boring and partly it's very nasty. But it's kind of like, it's like mixing with a certain social group, I suppose, yeah. whatever level you're yeah, at. Yeah, there's a certain topics media. too which just yeah. inflame. Yeah, but just, but answer the, I really need to take the break, but Eamon, would you just then ban the propagandists and brand the people who are radicalising um, young men. No. Just kick How? them off Twitter. Kick them off YouTube. No, I, 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 I know. I mean, if, at the outset, no, Islamic fundamentalism, yeah. I, I don't know what you mean. Do you mean people who are inciting... So you know the way they sent these, these YouTube videos where they're... Um, well, many of them are being banned. They are. Down. I mean, right. but people but still have a right really want to, to say... Ban who gets to decide what like our ideas are? Like France. Right. France Actually, double, can France I decide? That's <laughs> okay. the way. If yeah. I could decide, France that double standards. <laughs> I mean, you know, ban the veil and... Um, I want to talk about bottoms now for a second. <laughs> <laughs> naked bottoms. Um, Angela, will you please Well, I am, tell... do not have a naked bottom, No, please, but so do, just do re- explain <laughs> to the well, people I suppose it's what is Naked Attraction on Channel 4. Well, it's Channel 4's latest sort of plunge into the abyss. Um, you know, I, re- I remember when Channel 4 started, I remember when it was good and uh, before they periodically just uh, get sort of smuttier and lower and lower and broader. Anyway, my, I shout out to my family who told me about this program because I think I'd gone to bed or something. But uh, a new program on Channel 4 called Naked Attraction, which is a dating show. And I suppose in a way it's a logical extension of Grinder, Grinder, I mean Grinder and Tinder and whatever else where people uh, judge uh, others purely on their appearance. But in this program, people are judged on their genitalia. And to quote from Julia Lewin-Smith's article in the Sunday Times, over 48 minutes, last Monday's program flashed 282 shots of male genitalia and 96 female, an average of almost five penises and two vaginas a minute. And as she humorously adds, it was never like this on Blind Date. And I say bring black back blind date and uh, yeah, rest I, in peace Scylla she must be turning in a new grave yeah I was asked by the Sunday Independent to watch this programme and uh, could not believe it it's uh, astonishing people isn't it? in glass cases and a screen is gradually lifted first up to their waist and then Anna Richardson who's the presenter and the potential the woman looking for a date walk around and inspect the willies in the glass case yeah. and then they turn around and we look at their bottoms and then the screen is raised again and their chests are discussed and then finally the potential candidates do get to speak but they're asked what are their favourite and least favourite body parts and it's like it's revolting it's revolting <laughs> and um, so I decided that it just means the apocalypse is clearly on the way it's the mm. end of days it, and, it, um, it well Pokemon would, would have been a sign of the apocalypse <laughs> is in fact here but yes. oh no Mali what it's just this weird juxtaposition now between you've got the Netflix's showing amazing TV <laughs> And mm. then uh, the the regular channels are showing this Channel kind of stuff. Always had a yeah, I've stopped watching yeah, television yeah. For, uh, for Netflix, and yeah. I'm looking at your column in the Sunday Independent today. I'm kind of glad uh, <laughs> it does seem ridiculous. But I mean, Channel Four, yeah, it did used to be a good channel, mm. didn't it? And yeah, then, like suddenly everything is. Yeah, they uh, did. They, I think after you know the lovely 
uh, trendy ties of Jon Snow and Channel 4 News it kind of starts after that yeah, they, they really switch off. Big Brother is the main you know and now but also on television during the Republican National Convention Eamon I tuned into Fox News and I'd never really been yeah. watching it and that was hilarious because you'd all these fabulous looking women with big hair and big teeth and well yeah, yeah, done yeah. eyebrows and their black coloured dresses News. yeah and they're all sitting around with their legs crossed on stools talking all yeah. about um, and of course there was this huge row about Roger Ailes the head mm. of Fox yeah. News who had to go because he'd certain methods for giving women promotions and, yeah, and yeah. not others but the <laughs> Democrats uncrossing their legs I think. <laughs> yes yeah. exactly but the Democratic National Convention was on this week I presume you were following it so what did you make of it do you think did you well, warm to Hillary great you, speech. Uh, great uh, speech. you know yeah. it, it, there's a more conventional wisdom and so the one is that Hillary is not a likeable or warm she's overweening ambitious she's waited eight years to go back but you know what after the freak show of the Republican convention you do warm to proper democratic, proper, poly, proper people, you know, multi-racial, oddballs, the Democrats. I mean, that's our DNA as a country or Ireland and our tradition. I think it's overly done. Having been in North America as a diplomat in New York and seeing Irish America, I always saw that this complacent idea that the, the, the Irish Americans are always Democrats changed. But I, I just certainly, but but there was tumult there. Bernie Sanders. I mean, what, at least that was a more interesting character. I mean, Sanders supporters were furious. He almost wasn't going to endorse her. I understand he's actually gone back now to being an independent and not registered Are Democrat, something like that. So fun to be had. Um, Angela Long, what did you make of it? I, I, for me, the problem I think with Hillary is that she's so identified with the establishment yeah, and Goldman is. Sachs and all of that, and the the Trump people are the ones who are voting against that. Well, what, what an interesting uh, polls, you know, I don't know polls and kind of Brady writing about polls and don't believe them in the Sunday Times this week. Yeah, one poll this week had them both on thirty seven percent approval, <laughs> i.e. sixty three percent disapproval. And uh, Hillary's had a bump from the convention. She gave a very good speech. I'd say if anyone has any doubts about her, I'm, you know, I'm not her biggest fan, but she gave a good speech that was full of policy and it covered everything and it covered guns and it covered her past and she acknowledged that people don't particularly warm to her. You know, and I, I, I feel sympathy for someone who is a serious person who seriously wants to you know, change society, um, maybe needs the money to do it on the way, but is not you know, Joanna Lumley or somebody we all love. Who isn't you know, like Katy Perry who sang at the, the convention. But she gave a very good speech. I thought Bernie was a bit graceless in sort of looking very grouchy and growly when she was referring to him in, in glowing terms. And he sat there looking like the Grinch, you know, an elderly version of the Grinch. Um, I have to take a final break. Oh, no, I want to just give you a quick word. Yeah, Conor Brady is writing in the Sunday Times, doing polls on the cheap only leaves democracy short change. A lot of concern about polls and how they influence how people vote. Now, you're the political scientist. Are polls helpful or unhelpful to the people? I think they're helpful because we find out who's doing well and we can make decisions on the basis of polls. Obviously, when it comes to close elections and close referendums, uh, they give you close results and they don't tell you exactly who's in the lead. But the idea that the polls got it wrong, say, for Brexit is nonsense. They said it was around 50-50 mm. and it turned mm. out to be was, around yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. OK, so you're on for keeping yeah. polls then. Of course. OK, oh no, Mally, Eamon Delaney, sorry. Okay, I just wanted to look at, it was two very exciting Irish-connected yeah. vice presidential um, nominees. 
I just reading about uh, Tim Kane here. Longford's own. Yeah, and, and that's that's a, interesting. Clint's exciting. <laughs> okay, <laughs> well, Irish hangout, so you know. go Clinton Kane is the word from our panel this morning. I think. Yes. Uh, if it's against Trump, of course. Yeah. 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 Yeah.